Welcome to Puto Politics, the political podcast of the San Antonio Express News. My name is Gilbert Garcia, opinion writer and columnist, and I'm joined by Nancy Pryor Johnson, deputy editorial board editor, Metro editor Greg Jefferson. And before we get too deep into this episode, I wanted to uh, mention that um, I have changed positions at the Express News. I've been the Metro columnist for the past 11 years, and beginning this week, um, I am uh, I'm now a member of the editorial board, joining Nancy and uh, and Carrie Clack and Josh Brodesky. I'm really, really happy about that. And I'm going to be, I will continue to do Sunday columns and I'll be doing opinion writing, joining the, the rest of the team. So um, I got some very nice emails from readers over the, the, the weekend about that. And I really appreciate, I, I can't, I can't really put into words how much I appreciate people who, who read, you know, what we do and, and then share their thoughts about it. And uh, we're really nothing without, without the, you know, that with other readers and, and thank you all for, for that. And for, for listening to our podcast, um, we're recording this on Monday, October 9th. And today's the beginning of a special session in Texas. And there are a few issues that are, that are in play, but I think the one that, that we're focusing the most on is school vouchers, which governor Greg Abbott has made a big priority. And I think he's kind of staking his reputation right now on, on getting this passed. And we're really happy to be joined today by um, someone who's I think has a lot to say on this issue, uh, Marisa Bono, who's the CEO of the Public Policy Research and Advocacy Group, Every Texan. Marisa, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me, Gilbert. Well, um, this has really been something that's been pushed in Texas for a long time. There've been at least a segment of the Republican Party has been pushing this. I mean, the, the last three governors going back 29 years yep. or so have all uh, with varying degrees of intensity talked about wanting to, to pass voucher programs. Um, and it feels now like um, Governor Abbott and his supporters on this issue are kind of holding um, school uh, funding, public school funding and teacher raises hostage uh, to this voucher program because we we have not seen an increase in public school funding in four years yep. and they are they refuse to do it during the regular session mm -hmm. and so that's what's kind of complicating all of this um when you look at this issue and i know it's one that you've 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 thought about a lot and and, and written about i mean what do you think that people miss when they talk about the issue of school vouchers I think so vouchers usually comes up in a conversation where we all assume that our public school system is functioning and working the way that it should. Um, so Texas, under our Constitution, has an obligation to provide a, a what they say is an, an efficient system of public schools. Okay, right. And we do that through a school funding formula that's based on property taxes in Texas and um, not unsimilar to other states. Um, every district has a basic allotment that's based on attendance. So a lot of states do it that way, attendance or enrollment. Mm -hmm. And when you have this conversation about vouchers, I think there's this assumption that public schools are functioning the way that they should and are fully resourced the way that they should be um, to to handle the business of, of educating our 5.5 million dollar uh, million. Uh, school students, school, mm -hmm. school children in our public school system. And that simply isn't the case. So like you mentioned, um, the legislature hasn't even adjusted for inflation mm -hmm. in about four years now. There hasn't been new any new money in our school funding system, um, I don't know, since 2000, uh, 2010, 2011. And currently we spend about 4000 less per student than the national average across 
the country. We're in the bottom 10 of the Bottom states, 10. Right? Um, right now, I think we might even be in the bottom five at this point mm-hmm. um, because a number of other states in their legislative sessions saw some increases over the course of the past year or two. And as a result, we're pouring hundreds of thousands of students into our workforce each year who are wholly unprepared for college and career. According to our own state standards, we're seeing mass school closures across the state. We've seen some of that right here in our community. And we, even before the pandemic, we're experiencing a massive teacher shortage because teachers haven't really had any change in their salary over the course of the past decade. So we're really sort of in the midst of a crisis. And... Um, this the voucher proposal, when we're talking about a proposal that pulls money, pulls resources out of that system that's already struggling, I think that's the connection that people are are kind of missing. Vouchers are like icing for a cake that the Texas legislature hasn't baked yet. Mm-hmm. As you know, the the issue is often de- defined by its by voucher supporters as one of school choice mm-hmm. or parental empowerment. And if you frame it that way, and it's interesting to see the polling because when you, when you talk about, when you ask people, do they support uh, parental choice or uh, um, school choice, mm-hmm. the, the reaction tends to be a lot more positive. Mm-hmm. And and I don't think any of us, I, I think we all, all of us who are parents like the idea of parental empowerment and school choice. But I I mean, I think that, that it's a misnomer to characterize it this way. And I wondered, you know, what when you look, when you hear people talk, as you we do so mm-hmm. many times, hear people define this as an issue of school choice. What what do you think is is uh, deceptive about that? Look, I mean, <clears throat> it, this is a really an emotional discourse. Like, it's a really emotional conversation. And I think there's a lot of name calling and a lot of accusation that people don't care about kids on both sides of the yeah. spectrum. And I think... We all know that's not true, right? I think all Texans believe that all children should have access to a good education, regardless of whether where they live and where their income is. And I think that's why that phrase, school choice, has so much appeal. It appeals to that sensibility and that value that we have as as Texans and and as Americans. The problem is it's a total sham. (laughs) It's a total scam. The phrase is a total scam because private schools are not obligated to accept any child, to serve any child, to keep any child. And their enrollment obviously is, is capped as well. We also have a lot of data from voucher programs from across the country. This is a program that's been implemented and expanded in a lot of different places across the country. And what we know is that a majority of voucher users were families who had kids who were already enrolled. I was going to mention, schools. I was going to ask you about that because Arkansas is in the first year. Yep. You probably saw the report from the yep. Arkansas Department Just of Education. Mm-hmm. They are in the first school year mm-hmm. of, of a voucher program. I think mm-hmm. they got about 5,000 kids there. Mm-hmm. And what amazed me was that 65% of the kids in that program were already, um, they were already in private schools. Exactly. So you're, you're not really, even, uh, even if you, someone supports the concept, you're not really moving that many of the kids in, into that, that system. You're just providing the private institutions with, with public money right. for kids that were already there. Or, or um, families that are already well off a yeah. discount on, yeah. on tuition that they're already paying. So let's think about a working family with two kids, for example. A school choice is more like a Sophie's choice because they got to decide which kid they're going to send. And even that being said, if you take the $8,000 proposed voucher and you want to send your child to TMI, mm-hmm. the tuition's well over, what, $23,000, well, how's a working class family going to come up with that difference? And so 
if look, if we're serious about targeting resources and support for low-income families, um, students who need support with their schooling, there are a lot of different ways we can do that within our existing system. Plenty of experts and stakeholders across the state. Let's listen to the folks who are on the front line and come up with a comprehensive solution that actually serves kids and not these out-of-state interests that have been proliferating over the course of the past 10 years on the, on the pro-voucher side. I think when um, Governor Abbott talked to uh, religious leaders trying to get them to talk about it, I believe it's going to be on the 15th here. He wants to um, them to talk about it in churches. And as I was listening to Governor Abbott talking about that, I just kept thinking, I just hope that I just hope that they're paying attention and they know and that they can see through the sham that you're talking about. What do you think? I mean, have you gauged or has your organization um, done surveys on what people actually know? Well, there have been a lot of surveys Mm -hmm. across the state around the voucher issue and also solutions related to supporting public schools. So Raise Your Hand Texas has um, kind Mm -hmm. of led the charge on a lot of those um, scientific studies. And we've got, like I said, a joint report with AFT from last year that talks about attitudes towards teachers and also the attitudes of teachers themselves. Um, I think... I think generally there's broad-based support for public schools, for the public school system, and for teachers, um, which is why it's so confusing that the um, public rhetoric has been um, more focused on tearing down public schools and also tearing down the the important role and value yeah. of teachers. Like in, in order to make vouchers fly, you have to um, talk about all the things that don't work with our public schools when oddly it's um it you know it's something that Texans across the boards support I mean who who doesn't love their community school you know who doesn't love their public school uh, my my son who's with us right now he attends a, a local community school and it's just the center of his world and the center of our family and and that's something that's going to be really hard to dissuade Texans on which is why I think this bill, um, or these these proposals mm-hmm. just fail over and over and over again. Well, we saw in April there was um, a, a budget amendment passed by the Texas House, and uh, which prohibited the use of uh, um, public funds for vouchers. And you had twenty four Republicans in the Texas House who voted for that. And you have Republicans in rural communities where there aren't these kind of private school options mm-hmm. where you don't, where the, the public school, the public high school is the center of the community. Everyone goes to the, pub, the public high school football games on Friday nights. Um, and they, those, those Republicans, regardless of what their, uh, the, the governor who represents their party is saying, don't necessarily want to see um, their, their school system endangered. Well, yeah, it's one of the few things that we can still agree on, both Republicans and Democrats in, mm-hmm. in this mm-hmm. state. And mm-hmm. that's exactly the reason why IDRA, um, a national nonprofit, but based here in San Antonio, they recently mapped out um, private schools that are available in rural areas across the state. It's a really a it's a really cool little tool mm-hmm. um, that it's available on on their website. But you can, as you look across the state, you it's not just discrete patches that don't have access to private school options. I mean, it's it's wide swaths of our state, mm-hmm. um, and that's why I think a lot of Republicans just can't get. They just can't get on board because they know what it's going to do to their schools, even under this immense pressure that's coming from the governor. And their communities. I mean, I know I'm from Mathis, Texas, Mm. rural Mm. South Texas, and 
the biggest employer is the school district. Yep. So, you know, if everybody goes and even, I mean, there's no private school in Mathis, let's be real, but they, mm -hmm. even if they start um, traveling, which I know they couldn't even afford that, a lot of people who live there and leave that school district, it's going to decimate it. There's a lot of criticism um, behind the, the emphasis over football, football over academics, yeah. right? But when you think about, um, what those programs mean to communities, oh, especially Friday in places. Oh, no, but that's what brings the community get together. Absolutely. That's the heart and soul of the community. And so one mm -hmm. misstep I think the governor made, there was a video he released. Of, he's at a football game, but it was a football game at a private yes. high school. And I was like, oh, no, you really stepped into it now. Yes. I mean, um, look, it doesn't have to be either or. That's the problem here. We're being forced into this zero-sum game yep. where it's got to be either or. And, hey, it does not have to be this way. It doesn't have to be this way. We had a $33 billion budget <clears throat> uh, surplus this past session. Uh, I think the comptroller just announced an, an extra $3 billion yep. from insurance premium taxes, like, uh, you know, what, a week or two ago? Week, yeah. I mean, there's so many states that can't afford to have this conversation. We can we can. And instead, we're mucking around with this. I mean, it's essentially a political fundraiser for wealthy politicians. So for several years now, we've been hearing a lot uh, from Governor Abbott and Republican lawmakers about uh, the teaching of critical race theory in mm. public schools, mm. uh, dirty books in school libraries and how they should be removed. Do you see this as kind of was that preparing the ground for this push this year? I mean, it's really remarkable what's happening. And it, it does seem, you know, uh, uh, I don't know. What do you think? Is I, I don't think the 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 push on the narrative that says public school teachers are indoctrinating mm -hmm. our children. I don't think it's a coincidence that we saw that emerge in the same time that we mm -hmm. had this orchestrated push yeah. for vouchers. That was not a coincidence. And, oh. um, you know, I don't want to sound too paranoid about it, but it's, you know, you're not being paranoid if it's true. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, this is, this is all part of a really, um, it was a very carefully well-planned oh, strategy. Yeah. It's Be because yeah. you need that little extra something. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. This is, you know, we're what we're coming up to Halloween. This is like the zombie bill it just keeps coming back and coming back. Mm -hmm. What are we going to do to give ourselves an edge this round and get this thing over the line? Well, it's this conversation around how public schools are bad and yeah. they're harmful for our children. Mm -hmm. And we don't know what's happening in the classroom, which is really ironic because private schools, if you want to talk about transparency in the classroom, yeah. no open records requests, you have no control. There's no oversight yeah. about what is or isn't happening mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. in the classroom. No curriculum, nothing. And it's, it's interesting because this past week, um, I think it was on Thursday and Friday, we had, uh, uh, someone was sent by Accuracy in Media, right-wing group, to the home of Phil Cortez, mm -hmm. uh, State Representative Phil Cortez, a Democrat, and his colleague Steve Allison, a Republican, who are both anti-voucher. And uh, they had someone there in a truck, which was mm -hmm. blasting out these sort of, uh, you know, attacks on, on public schools, uh, you know, and, and mentioning critical race theory and so on. Um, I think they went back to Steve Allison's house on, on Friday. So... Um, it it does seem like you said it, it's it's not just school choice, uh, you know. It, it's school choice with this little extra thing that they they put in, which is to to now say 
that our kids are getting groomed or indoctrinated and, uh, and we need to like save them and protect them and, mm. and fund, you know, fund this transition into, into private schools. Mm. Yeah. I mean, if we want to save and protect <clears throat> our kids, we need to listen to the people who are actually serving, serving our kids. And that's the hundreds of thousands of teachers, um, superintendents across the state who, who know exactly what their kids need mm -hmm. um those that should be the source of our information not out of state special interests did you see the protests on saturday oh yeah wow. it was wonderful we had um every texan had folks there um folks there from all over the state which yeah. actually was really impressive because we're in school right now yeah. so yeah. a lot of people said hey when this issue comes back up it's going to be a lot people aren't going to be paying attention because teachers are going to be in the classroom right. and um, yeah, that like that several was, hundred at that least. missed the mark. Yeah, several yeah. hundred um, people crowded all around the Capitol on a holiday weekend. Yeah. So I wanted to mention too uh, some of the, the the historical roots behind vouchers because I think they're important. And I'm not yeah. saying that everybody who supports vouchers now should necessarily be held responsible for all the the the, the thoughts of the people who supported vouchers historically. Yeah. But I think it's important to understand where this issue comes from, and it really uh, rose up in the 50s after the Brown versus Board yep. uh, decision, which desegregated public schools. And it was an attempt, a response to that, which was to let's try to help fund people moving their, their kids out of public schools because there were people who did not want to have integration in, in, in their schools. There's also been this <clears throat> Uh, sort of undercurrent of hostility to public schools, which I, when I was kind of looking into this issue a few months ago, I'd never seen this before. Um, but in 2003, one of the many times that the Texas legislature has taken up the issue of vouchers, you had uh, conservative economist Milton Friedman came to Austin mm. and he spoke to the, the legislature uh, in favor of a voucher program. And he referred to public schools as government schools, mm. which I thought was a really interesting phrase. And yeah. this is coming from somebody who is hostile to big government. Mm. And he said, in reference to public schools, he said, like every socialist institution, you get low quality and high cost. Mm -hmm. And again, I'm not saying every single person who supports vouchers now believes that. But I think that if we look at the history of this issue and, and what's been driving it, it's there has been this undercurrent of hostility to the very concept of, of public education, which, as you said, the Texas Constitution mandates that the right. legislature needs to adequately fund public schools. Yeah. Um, so, and this, that sentiment, <clears throat> that kind of low grade animosity, maybe not even so low grade yeah. anymore, that's new. That's a new feature mm -hmm. in our system. Um, so before I was at Every Texan, I was um, at MALDEF for many years. Mm -hmm. We did a lot of legislative work. So I've kind of seen this evolution. And I would say even five years ago, you would never hear a Republican decrying their public schools, yeah. decrying mm -hmm. their school district, talking about a threat to children in public schools. Mm -hmm. um, that is something that I think has been introduced by um, mm -hmm. what are largely these out-of-state influences. Yeah. Um, and then also being driven by that very core political constituency. Um, but I, um, look, our, we have a massive system. I mean, we have what twelve, no, fourteen hundred, twelve hundred, fourteen hundred school districts. It's something in yeah, in that order. Um, this is not a perfect system. Sure. There are going to be inefficiencies. They're going to like, hey, I don't want to 
make this sound like some kind of panacea. Yeah. Um, but you're exactly right. Like this is the system that we're relying on to train our future workforce and to give every student the opportunity. And that access to that opportunity, that is something that is also in our constitution. Yeah. The access to opportunity to engage in our economic um, and social life, right? Is There's language that, to that effect in the constitution. Um, and so I... Again, so that resorting to name calling, like we're socialists or we're, hey, like you can do that. You're talking about giving an $8,000 voucher to every family yeah, in yeah. Texas. So <laughs> like, hey, like you can make that argument on both sides, yeah. but it yes. all detracts from the main <laughs> issue here, which is we're in the middle of, of a crisis, a school funding crisis, and we need to be focused on the real problem here and not be distracted. Yeah. Is it is it me or has the business community been awfully quiet about this? Because you would think that they've got to be concerned about having employees with with basic skills who can do math, right. basic math, basic language skills. Yeah, you know, I, I I will say I have not. I remember when there was like a question about curriculum. I want to say five or six years ago, and I remember the business community being very loud and vocal about that. Um, I have seen, um, I think I even saw the Hispanic Chamber had a statement that was mm. anti-voucher, but mm -hmm. I'm sorry, Hispanic Chamber, if I'm wrong on that. But I think I saw mm -hmm. um, some kind of statement on that. Um, but I, I would say you're right. You know, I haven't seen as much of a presence there. They're too quiet. They should speak up. I don't. It will, it will affect them. It's going to affect our economy eventually. I mean, we're talking about educating and training our future. Right. And so to me, that's what speaks. I mean, the hypocrisy of it all is ridiculous. Well, it's, but. it's really, so the voucher program is one issue, but I think the larger issue is that we're not focused on preparing our students yes we're like that that's the big issue so voucher it's kind of like a it's like a red herring mm -hmm. um, so regardless of where you fall on vouchers the big issue here is we're not addressing right we're not addressing the main issue yeah. um you're going to leave them behind and their schools are going to be even more underfunded and they won't be able to meet their needs and they're going to close more and yeah. more. It's going to be it's a like a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah. It really is. Yeah. And we're yeah. seeing more school districts than ever across the state run deficit budgets, some for the first time mm -hmm. this year. Yeah. And then the, the issue is, too, this this education system that we have, the Republicans created the system. <laughs> they molded it. And they I mean, they are in control. They've been in control for how many years? You know, decades. Yeah, the state Board years. of Education has been, um, you know, not just conservative, but very conservative for many years now. If you don't like what, if you don't like the curriculum in your public school, if you think yeah. that's indoctrinating your children, you should exactly. be talking to the Republicans who run our school, our point. school system. Exactly. Uh, you know. And uh, because it's fake, because <clears throat> it's not happening. You know, I was a teacher just as recently as three years ago. And we didn't have time to indoctrinate students. Like they're not teachers huddled up in a corner of a build of a school building. Yeah. Say, how are we going to indoctrinate these students today? I, I will tell you what <laughs> teachers have been busy with are trying to get our children, trying to teach our children the ever increasing rigorous state standards. Right. The, the rigor in our, in our state academic standards have been ramping up mm -hmm. over the course of the past five to 10 years. Mm -hmm. um, there, which is great, right? Mm -hmm. We want high standards yes. for our yes. kids. That's, that's a good thing. The problem is the state is not also providing the equivalent funding to deliver that mm -hmm. um, additional level of, of 
rigor. And mm-hmm. so it's um, or taking care of the teachers that are teaching. them. Yeah. Well, exactly. Yeah. Providing them yeah. the support they need. That's, you know, the, the training that it takes to teach kids at that level, even in the elementary grades now, what they're expected oh, yeah. to learn. I mean, it's it's I'm my so my son just started six, sixth grade and his, what he was learning in elementary school was. I feel like when I was, I was yeah. like, I don't know, did I ever get that? I don't know. <laughs> like, yeah. um, it's it's a completely different world yeah. than when I was in school. Yeah. And um, but then the other side of that is missing, which is increased supports for teachers and then smaller class sizes for kids, so they're better able to handle this this heavy curriculum. Exactly. Yeah. Before we move on from this topic, I wanted to to ask you about um, State Representative Barbara Gervin Hawkins, who is. Um, uh, all, all the Democrats in the San Antonio delegation are anti-voucher, but she has recently said, and she said this a few times, that if if the Republicans are, good, are basically going to uh, demand vouchers in exchange for increased school funding and, and teacher pay, that she she has suggested that she's open to maybe a five year pilot program and where we could assess how this how, you know, these vouchers or education savings accounts uh, would work. Um, what do you make of that as a strategy? So, so you said strategy, and the first thing that comes into my head is like <clears throat> Sun Tzu, Art of yeah, War, yeah. and yeah. he says that you you impose your will on your opponent, you don't let them impose their will on you. Yeah. And the 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 rub here is that Republicans aren't clamoring for vouchers. There there are many Republicans who would love nothing more than for this issue to go away and for them to never hear about it again. Yeah. They're in they're in a, a real rock in a hard place, the pressure that they're facing from leaders like the governor and the lieutenant governor. And so to start waving the white flag before we're even at a place where we're quote unquote close to defeat, it's it's confusing. Yeah. Um but you know the the representative is one member mm. of our local delegation. She's one member in the house. Um, I don't think that we should allow, you know, one person to be driving a narrative. Instead, um, I, I think following the lead of folks who are calling for this, this closer focus on, on providing better supports and providing better funding and more targeted funding. Um, I think that's a better reflection of, of values across the board, Republican or Democrat. Before we, we wrap up things uh, with this episode, I wanted to, to talk to you a little bit about Medicaid, an issue which I know you've taken a close look at. And I think it's, I don't think it's an exaggeration to say we're in something of a Medicaid crisis in the state right now. <laughs> Another crisis. And uh, if, if you could talk a little bit, we were talking just before we started recording about the changes that have, that have, that have resulted in nearly a million uh, Texans being uh, kicked off of Medicaid. Um, can you talk a little bit about what the, the has, has, how that happened? Sure. Okay, so Medicaid is a um, state and federal run program that provides healthcare services for folks, predominantly the elderly and children. Um, millions of people in Texas have Medicaid and it helps them cover healthcare costs. And we're talking about things like regular checkups and inhalers to catastrophic care if there's an accident or a chronic illness. Medicaid also covers some services that Medicare doesn't, like Mm. nursing home costs. Mm. All right. Um, So that's what Medicaid means for the millions of Texans who use it. Um, HHSC, the Health and Human Services Agency, is the agency in um, Texas that runs the program. Okay. 
Uh, and this is an agency that has always been underfunded, under-resourced, short-staffed. They're truly public servants. They do the best with what they have. But even before the pandemic, they were facing massive backlogs when it came to serving Texans. During the pandemic, the federal government decided to um, halt the process that checks people for their eligibility and make sure that they're re-enrolling on time. And um, post-pandemic announced that they were going to be getting rid of those rules. And that's what we refer to as Medicaid unwinding. Mm -hmm. Okay. So we knew this train was coming down the track. Mm -hmm. Um, Spoiler alert, state leaders didn't do anything to make sure that the agency was properly um, staffed and Mm -hmm. resourced and prepared. Um, Instead of using the full year, a 13-month period that the federal government allowed um, for states to handle this unwinding process, Texas tried to condense um, four to five million renewals within a three to four month period. And this was a system that was already backlogged and and under-resourced. So not surprisingly, almost a million Texans up to this point have been booted off the Medicaid logs, even though it hasn't been established that they're not eligible. Okay, so these are folks who a vast majority are likely still eligible for the program, still need the program, um, mostly children um, and elderly folks and pregnant women um, or women who are postpartum. Um, And now to get back on, they go back into the system that is already backlogged. Right. They could be facing five, six, seven month delays just to get back on, even though they're eligible. Um, so this is really uh, kind of a mass, you know, <laughs> crisis of massive proportions for the state. We got to slow this down. Yeah, we got to slow this down. As, as it is, the governor, without legislative authority, can pause today. Can pause disenrollments and say, "Hey, let's just take a breather. Let's take a second and look at what we need to do here to adequately support the agency." And space this out so that more Texans aren't harmed and get people who were wrongly booted off back on. We we really got to take a breath here. And that wouldn't take any kind of action on lawmakers, right? He could no, just do it. He could do it today. It doesn't even need to be part of a special session or nope. anything like that. Nope. Although it would have been nice if we're coming Hello. back anyway. I mean, it would have been, <laughs> been nice to talk about, you yeah. know, what the legislature could do to help address okay, this issue. Yeah. Uh, would have been nice, but but not necessary. The government could, could pause. And with um, that led, with that direction, with that executive direction, um, the agency could also slow things down a little bit. Um, that's yeah. where we're at. And this is coming uh, in, we're already in a climate where we are one of the few states in the country that has refused right. to expand Medicaid under the Affordable Care Act. And yeah. we had a major problem with uh, uninsured people anyway. Yeah, it's really confusing to me because so we're just talking about vouchers. We're one of the few red states that haven't passed vouchers and governor seems like chomping at the bit Mm -hmm. to get a voucher program. It's a real burr under his saddle, right? Right. But then virtually every other red state has expanded Medicaid. Why aren't we on this bandwagon? I don't understand. Yeah. Oh my God. Texas politics. Um, Marisa Bono, thank you so much for being uh, with us. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And uh, to everyone listening in, uh, thank you so much. And uh, hope everything's going well for you. We'll be back next week. Take care.